Isaiah the prophet listens for God. It is a part of a prophet's role to pay attention to what God would be saying in order that it could be shared. You remember how he receives his calling in Isaiah chapter six. Uh, there is a remembrance that in the year King Uzziah died that he saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple, and seraphs were in attendance above him, and each had six wings. With two they were covering their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord your God, the God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called and the house filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is a profound image. Can you imagine this occurring for Isaiah in a, in a, a vision of worship? Can you imagine how it was somewhat daunting for him to hear the instruction from God as it's recorded, go and say this to the people. Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. I just feel that those words must have been spoken with utter sarcasm as God was instructing Isaiah, because this was what was happening already, that the people were not listening. They had forgotten the importance of God's closeness. And in fact, their chosen path had already set in motion their own doom. You pick up on this further as you look into Isaiah on the 24th chapter, it says, now the Lord is about to lay waste the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants, and it shall be with the people, so with the priest, with the slave, so with his master, with the maid, so with her mistress, and on down the list of all of these that are named as a part of Israel. You know the story, don't you, about how first Assyria came in and did its damage uh, to the northern kingdom and then as Babylon came in and carried off the people, literally taking that city apart and carrying off the leaders into their exile for years and years and years, even to the point of another generation having been raised. Some had never known what Jerusalem was and there they were kept in exile. I tell you, when you look at Isaiah, you remember some very precious words from that book, but there is a hard story in the mix. I'm glad that the reading for today is taken from what's considered to be second Isaiah. It is the second telling, and that is the part that starts with the words comfort. Comfort ye my people. And here in this passage that was read just a few moments ago, have you not known, have you not heard because we have such a tendency to forget. When anything is sustained for a long time that is difficult for us, when anything becomes too much to bear, it is the case in our lives that we begin to think that maybe God is not present here for me. 
There's a Gatorade commercial which was aired a few years back and yet it still is so powerful to watch. You can look it up on YouTube later today if you want to see it, but it has this runner who has been in this this um, Ironman triathlon. And you know what that's about, don't you? I mean, it's about a bunch of crazy people getting together <laughs> and doing un, untold things. They, they jump into the water, they swim for miles, and then they jump on bicycles, and then they bike for miles, and then they get onto the road and they start running to the end of the race. And of course, they are exhausted when they cross the finish line. But the, the commercial has a picture of this one fella who literally is within 50 yards of the finish line and he begins to break down. His muscles cannot go any far. You can see that he's got good muscles all over him to make it this far. And he's coming in as one of the leaders, but everything begins to fall apart. And he is so wobbly on his feet that finally he collapses to the ground. And they can't touch him, they can't pick him up but he has people from the crowd that are yelling and encouraging him. He has other coaches that are coming and whispering to him, do you wanna give up, do you wanna start? Again, finally, it shows him crawling toward the finish line just to make it. And of course, this is, did I say to you, this is a Gatorade commercial, you know? And so you can sort of get what they're getting at, right? If he had had Gatorade, you know? Maybe he could have pulled out that last boost of energy that he needed. I think it takes more than that, you know? I mean, you're reaching for this inner reserve when you're in a race like that, but, but what is it that you do when you're just in life, you know? And things become very difficult for you when you're dealing with things that you had never expected to have to deal with. What is it that you do? How is it that God rearranges your life in such ways as to give you a sense of hope for the future when everything around you is telling you there is no hope, there is no hope. This is the way it's going to be forever. Isaiah's words of hope. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Say that with me. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. These are important words to remember. One of my favorite authors is Barbara Kingsolver. I've read a number of her books, and one that she wrote years ago is entitled Animal Dreams. In that book, one of her characters speaks such truth. He says, the very least you can do in your life is figure out what you hope for. And the most you can do is live inside that hope, not admire it from a distance, but live right in it, under its roof. Are you doing that? Do you have a sense of hope in your life? Are you listening with hope to hear the voice of God? This is not an easy choice to make when all signs around us tell us that there is little to hope for. It is only those who have developed this sense of longing for Christ that are making the choice, 
who will be able to hear any hope at all. Occasionally in our hymnals, we will turn to sing um, a song that has no author listed at the bottom of the page. Usually, it is not just some anonymous person that has placed this humbly in the hymnal. But if you look more closely, it is usually a spiritual that is there, an African-American spiritual that is included. And in those words, you can sense there's something more going on than even we are bearing witness to in our singing of the hymn. Some of these spirituals were not written so much for worship, they were written for work. As the slaves in the South were making their way, uh, planting the cotton or chopping the cotton or, or picking the cotton, whatever they were doing, they were encouraging each other and encouraging themselves to keep their eye on Christ. You've heard these words before that truly are a theology of freedom. They truly are a theology that helps the spirit to link with the divine. Swing low, sweet chariot. You know it. Do you remember that one? Go down Moses, way down to Egypt land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. These were the utterings of their hearts. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. And when you connect with that person out of whose life these words flowed, then you begin to sense how we too might live in God's hope. Not that everything in life would have to be in good order before we see it, but that through the difficulties that you and I experience, our hope is in a reality that may not be visible yet. We are called not only to receive it, but to instill it in others as we face hopeless situations. I've heard that astronomers have discovered something called dark matter. I don't know where it is. Some of you college professors may be able to explain this to me one day. But I understand that it permeates everything. It permeates everything we see, everything we touch, everything we imagine that is solid. There's no room for anything else in there. It is filled to overflowing with dark matter. And the more I think on this, the more I think they're exactly right. There's darkness everywhere. You may be dealing with darkness right now. You might not have told anyone about it that's sitting near you, but you know it, and God knows it. You may be dealing with a severe darkness. I've had severe darkness before. I told a friend of mine one day, years ago now, I said, I said, I'm going through a dark night of the soul. He said, those are well-chosen words to describe what you're feeling. That's St. John from the 16th century who experienced it too. Have you experienced that before? Do you know what I'm saying when I say the dark night of the soul? When sadness overtakes you, 
where it turns into something that begins to rob you of all goodness of thought to the point where you do not any longer see that the Spirit of God is at work in your life and around the world. That is a very bad place to be. Theologically, to enter this sphere is to live in absolute despair. It is not leading us to any heaven and heaven is not spilling over into us. And if that's the case, it is a hellish environment in which to be. It is a tragic damage to our spirits. And Isaiah sees, he knows what's at work within the people. They've been gone from Jerusalem for so long they can barely remember how it used to be. Their lives have been so deprived that they've begun to give up hope. Some of them have already turned away from the idea that any good could come in their lives. And he asked the question, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? This is Hebrew verse, parallelism in order to help us to get the point. He asked the question over and over again so the reader, so that the hearer, that would be us, right? So that we would get the point. That is that we do ourselves damage by not listening with hope because God is a God of hope. In fact, his greatest theology is Jesus Christ. And you and I are called to be a people of hope in Christ. I love it that the Apostle Paul is completely caught up in this. In the fifth chapter of his letter to the church at Rome, uh, the Apostle Paul said this, He said, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us. Can you hear it in his voice that he has discovered this and it lives within him? Where is it living within you and I? Paul says over in the eighth chapter something very similar as he goes on. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit groan inwardly while we await for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we are saved. How many people say it is by faith we are saved? Yes, Paul said that, but he also said, for it is in hope that we are saved. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, faith, hope, and love abide. And the greatest of these is, but I think he would say today, he would say to us, but hope comes in a close, close second, a close, close second. Do you believe that? And is your life evidence of it? How is it with your soul, John Wesley would ask? How is it with your soul? Are you listening with hope? Can you detect that God has something in store for you? It was a time that I needed help. And a person put a book in my hand that was written by a Catholic priest The title of the book, Yielding for Those in Need of Hope. If you try to find that, you will be on a difficult journey because it hasn't been in publication for years and years and years. Its circulation was very small. You might be able to find a copy of it on eBay, I don't know. But let me tell you, it profoundly opened to me a new way of thinking and living, William O'Malley took scripture and did things with it that were just fascinating to me. Let me read for you his paraphrase of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What else is there to want? He leads my soul into green meadows to rest by quiet crystal pools where he refreshes me. And then we rise and make our way on paths the shepherds chosen for us. Though some are darksome, I feel no fear when love strides at my side, prodding and protecting with crook and staff. Ahead somewhere, they prepare a gladsome feast where faces will shine and cups will overflow. Even mine Goodness and kindness dog my heels, urging me on toward the house of God, where I will live beyond all pain forever and forever. Thomas Merton wrote in his little book, No Man is an Island, he wrote, if I do not hope in his love For me, I will never really know Christ. How is it with your soul? 
Are you listening with hope?